Thank you for tuning in to The Way Podcast, a work of Scattered Abroad which is overseen by the East Hill Church of Christ in Pulaski, Tennessee. You can find our website at scatteredabroad.org. In this podcast, we seek to showcase the way that God wants us to live by looking at what is written in His Word. The Bible says God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. This is That Way. Here is your host, Houston Welch. Welcome back to The Way Podcast. I'm your host, Houston Welch, and I'm back here with uh, our good brother, Drew Suttles. And today, we're going to be talking about the church. The Bible uh, clearly mentions the church throughout the New Testament, and also we can see the idea uh, throughout the Old Testament, though it is a concealed idea. And so let's discuss a few passages which clearly mention the church and get that out in the forefronts of our mind. So, Drew, you want to reference a few? Yeah, I'd be glad to. Uh, The first time that we find it in the New Testament is in Matthew chapter 16, and that's when Jesus said, I will build my church. So we learn a lot from that passage, which I'm sure we'll dive into later, but that's the first time it's mentioned. Another one that comes to mind is Acts 2.47. On the day of Pentecost, when the church was established, it said about 3,000 souls obey the gospel, and the Lord added them to the church. And so just two you know, quick uh, passages there that help us with that. Uh, another one, uh, very quickly, is in Acts 20 and verse 28. It speaks of the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And so that theme is found throughout the New Testament. Yes, and one also that I'd like to reference is 1 Timothy Mm 3.15. Paul writing to Timothy, and he he admonished him that he was writing these things so that Timothy might, that he might know how to behave himself in the house of God, which he says is the church of God, which is the pillar and the ground of the truth, which says about the church that the church is, it's not only the pillar of the truth, not only does it uphold the truth, but it is also the foundation, the solid foundation of the truth, which the truth sits on. Mm -hmm. And you can say, well, if it's the foundation of the truth, and that means it had to come before the truth, the truth of God has been uh, since throughout all time, but also the church has always been in God's mind, Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. That's right. As well as Ephesians 3, 9, and 10. Exactly, the yes. eternal purpose. Exactly. He he always looked to uh, look forward to the church. And the ch- what is the church? Yeah, and that's, and that's a good way to kind of maybe introduce that thought. It's the word church that we find in the New Testament uh, from the Greek language is ekklesia. And the word ek there means out, kleo is to call, so... The church is literally the called out, the called out body of believers. And so those who have been called out of the world and into Christ by the gospel, 2 Thessalonians 2.14, we referenced Acts 2.47. You know, Peter preached the first gospel sermon in its entirety, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. So when those about 3,000 obeyed that gospel, they were added to the church. What does that mean? They made up. The body of Christ, that's what the church is. It is the Lord's body, and it's those who have obeyed his gospel. Thus, they are added to this called-out group of people. Exactly. And so uh, a lot of people today, and the reason why we make uh, a point of clarifying what the church is and that that the church is clearly mentioned throughout the New Testament is because there's been a, a tainted... Uh, view of what church is today. Oftentimes we say that we're going to church and we think about it as as sort of just the religious 
actions in which the church performs religious actions, uh, James 1, 27, but it is not a, quote, religious action itself. It is the assembly of God. It is the called out uh, body of Christ. Right. So what what does this church look like? Well, this church uh, that we read about is, is just that. It's what we read about in the New Testament. Uh, it's... You know, we, we talk about the fact that these were a body of believers that we read about. So the, the church that you read about in the New Testament, that's what this church looks like. It, it looks like individuals who have, uh, you know, said no to the world and yes to the Lord. And the church of Christ is not a, a title but a description, right? It's a description of these are the people that belong to Christ. It's the Lord's church. The kingdom is referred to as the kingdom. It's referred to as the body, the bride. So this church looks like a group of people who have been called out of the world and into Christ. And you look at the, the first century church, what we find in the New Testament, that's exactly what it looks like today, what is so beautiful about it. Uh, they obeyed the same gospel that we are to obey today, Acts 2.38, and it's organized the same way. And, and according to God's wisdom, you have a plurality of men who meet the qualifications to serve as elders or shepherds, 1 Timothy chapter 3. And in Philippians 1.1, we see a congregation of the Lord's church. They had bishops or elders, they had deacons, and they had saints. And so that's exactly what this church looks like today, exactly how it did 2,000 years ago. Exactly. And so if you, if you have a church today that does not meet these identifying marks, and we're going to discuss a few more of these identifying marks, then it is not the Lord's church which he built, Matthew 16.16. 16. It's not the church which he purchased with his own blood, Acts twenty twenty eight. Another identifying mark, and which one I think is very important today, is that in Acts eleven twenty seven, we read that they were first called Christians in Antioch. And so we don't read about these individuals who made up this body being called anything other than the church, Christians, or also disciples. However, uh, according to Acts chapter 18, we do find out that one can be a disciple and also not be a Christian. You can be a disciple and not be saved. You can uh, follow uh, some of the commandments of Christ and some of his um, teachings, though you do not follow them fully and therefore you're not a Christian. The word Christian, is it, it means one belonging to Christ or one who is of Christ. Right. And so when you bear that name, you're saying that I belong to him or I am of him. And you don't bear the name of, of anybody else or, right. or any other, uh, quote, religion. That's right. Drew, do you have any more um, distinguishments or any more identifying marks for the church? Yeah, one that comes to mind, we mentioned it been in the first century, is it was prophesied about in the Old Testament. Yes. And if you can remember the number two, uh, you can remember these passages. Isaiah chapter two, it was going to begin in the city of Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. All nations would flow unto it. Daniel chapter two and verse 44, there's coming this kingdom uh, that, that nothing is going to stand against. It's never going to fall away or pass away. You also have in Joel chapter two, the events that would take place. And, and all of that's pointing to Acts chapter two. So I would say this to our listeners. If the church that you attend did not begin in the city of Jerusalem, then it's not the church that we read about in the New Testament. It's not the mm -hmm. church that belongs to Jesus. Also, going along with that, with the idea of prophecy and, and beginning there in Jerusalem, if the church which you attend did not start in the first century, which did not begin in the first century, right. then it is not the Lord's church as well. 
Another another identifying mark to go along with that, and Drew Drew referenced this. He 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 mentioned it as well that they are those who are washed. So in Acts chapter two, those of the the first century church, the very first church, uh, the very first individual church, which makes up the collective church of Christ, they all when they uh, were presented the gospel message. They were pricked in their heart. They were convicted of the sin which they had committed, which was killing the Christ, crucifying the Christ. And they asked Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And what was his response, Drew? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. Yes. So these are individuals who've also been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, and it's it's for the remission of sins. Now, one final identifying marker, at least that I have, Drew may have one more, is John thirteen thirty five, And this is a key identifying mark, which I believe uh, that, that we leave out today. Uh, Jesus said, uh, all men shall know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. And so that is, that's a key identifying mark. If we don't have love for our brethren, John tells us in 1 John that the love of God does not dwell in us. So for us to have that love of God abiding in us, dwelling in us, making its home in us, we also have to love our brethren. And others are certainly going to be able to see whether or not we're doing that, and they're going to determine whether or not we're Christians. That's right. Do you have any more identifying marks? You know, I think other than than understanding that this is the church you find in the New Testament, it's the one that began in the city of Jerusalem, the one that was prophesied, the one that was promised uh, by Jesus to be built, uh, and, you know, I think it's important to know, too, that it's a distinctive body of people. You know, Jesus didn't say, I will build my churches. He said, I will build my church. It's singular in nature, and I think that's what makes it distinctive. You know, right now in our in our society, there are over 40,000 denominations in existence, and yet Jesus only died for one. So he died for one church, and the church that belongs to Jesus is not a denomination. It's not, you know, uh, uh, something that... A broke off or a division. That's not what it is. This is the church that Jesus promised to build, and as you've mentioned, he purchased with his own blood. And also another thing to mention as well, going along with that, so somebody who's listening who perhaps is outside of Christ, to know that the churches of Christ is not another denomination as well. Right. The churches of Christ simply uh, try to, to do and heed the word of God, heed the teachings of Christ, and follow the, 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 the law, the perfect law of liberty, which we read about in the New Testament. But you, you mentioned that the, uh, you referenced back to Matthew 16, and whose church is this? Because I believe that's an important uh, factor as well, to understand whose church it is we read about in the New Testament. Right, and in that verse, you know, there's so much there. It, you think about all these, these man-made churches today, you can actually go back a few hundred years and see, okay, this church began here by this individual. Well, if you want to think about the Lord's church, go back to what he said. He said, I will build my church. So that word my shows possession. It shows ownership. Uh, he would build his. Um, you know, he's not building someone, someone else's. And here's the thing, too. He has the right to build it because he's the one who purchased it with his own blood. You know, you think about buying a house and signing your name, and maybe you put the stamp, the deed has been done. Well, when Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood, he paid in full 
That's the purchase price for the church. He 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 died for it. It belongs to him. In fact, Ephesians chapter five, we we find that he is the savior of the body. And Ephesians chapter one, verses twenty two and twenty three, Paul says that Jesus is the head of the body, which is the church. So the body, the church, that's used interchangeably. You know, the, Jesus is the one head, and there's one body. He, there's not multiple bodies on this one head. There's not multiple heads. It's one body. It's it's one head. That is Jesus Christ. This is the church that he promised to build, that he purchased with his own blood. It's the one that belongs to him. And also, when you when you were speaking, you were you were speaking about Jesus owning the church, in which that is absolutely true. Somebody who's listening might be thinking, "Well, why would you want to be owned by somebody else? Even if it was God, why would you want God to own you?" And know that when you are that those who are of the church, those who are Christians who belong to Christ, they place themselves there. Well, of course, the Lord adds to the church. But they're putting themselves into in a position to be at it. It is a willful submission, and nobody who does not want to be a part of the church is ever going to be a part of the church. That's right. Uh, you you've already referenced the the source of the church, which is which is God, and it began there in Jerusalem. Now, what separates uh, the church from other religious institutions? You know, I would say in, in a very loving way that it is the truth of God's Word. That's the difference. It's One is built on the truth of God's Word, and an, another church, another religious group is not. Uh, you mentioned 1 Timothy 3.15, you know, the church, the, the, the family of God, the house of God, the pillar and ground of the truth. If you keep reading in that text, it speaks of Jesus. And so both are, are together. You can't separate Christ from the church. You can't separate the bride from the groom. You, you you think about the source of the Lord's church being the truth of God's word. And other churches, again, with, with all the love that I can muster to say this, other churches exist because of a lack of respect for God's word and a lack of respect for the authority that we have in God's word. You know, Paul, in Galatians 1, uh, verses 6 through 9, he spoke of this. He said, if anybody comes and brings another gospel, which is not another. In other words, there's only one gospel. But if someone tries to bring you something different than what you've received, than what's been passed down through the Holy Spirit, John 16, 13, through the apostles, reject it. Count them off as accursed. And yet we have entire religious groups built on something that a man had to say. You know, the doctrines of men, Matthew 15, 9. That's why these, these religious groups, these churches exist. It's not a thus saith the Lord. It's here's what man had to say. And it comes from here's what God said, and someone says, you know, I don't like that. I'm going to twist it. I'm going to make it sound the way I want to, and I'm going to build something over here. Well, if you do that, understand that you're not going to be recognized by the Lord. That's not what he died for. It's not what he prayed for. Yes. You know, Jesus prayed for unity. Yeah, other other um, churches and and when we say other churches we're talking about churches which do not belong to the lord which have not met the criteria under the new testament which jesus christ did not purchase with his own blood those other churches all begin because of man's desire right. of his his lust for for what he wants over what god wants that's right and if you if you can if you are mature enough 
to recognize that God created you and that he has the right to, uh, I like how uh, Brother Michael Clark mentioned it, he, and he, I believe he might have been referencing his dad, mm-hmm. that if you have the power to create a universe, then you can rule that universe however you want to. That's right. And so Christ built uh, the church, so he has the rule over the church, and he has the rule over who gets into the church. But because of man's desires, we wanted to create another way. Well, I don't like... Uh, baptism, or I don't like the fact of of singing only. I want it to be accompanied by something else for my goodwill, for my pleasing, not for God's pleasing. Yeah, for, you, go ahead. No, you, I was going to say you, you triggered a thought. There is uh, something else that that maybe we forgot to to discuss. You mentioned worship. That's another distinctive mark of the Lord's church. Uh, you look out in the religious groups, and, and you mentioned singing only. You might find instruments of music being used. You might find uh, mechanical instruments, I should say. Uh, you might find a group that takes the Lord's Supper perhaps once, you know, a quarter, maybe twice a year. But you look at the Lord's church, and you find that the worship of the church is distinctive in nature. You know, Jesus said, they that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. That's with the right attitude and according to the right standard. And you find five authorized acts of worship in the New Testament. Singing, making melody in your heart, Ephesians 5.19. Praying to the Lord as they did in the first century, Acts 2.42. Partaking of the Lord's Supper every first day of every week, Acts 20 and verse 7. Giving as we have been prospered, 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 2. And preaching the word of God, 2 Timothy 4.2. That's what you're going to find in a service of the Lord's church. And you don't find that in other groups. Yes, yes. So, so we've we've made somewhat of a distinction, hopefully, between the Lord's Church and and what we find in the rest of the world. And I, I do I do want to take just a few moments to speak about the beauty of Christ's bride, because throughout the New Testament it is referenced as the bride of Christ. Ephesians chapter five um, tells us that husbands love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. And making the, the, the parallel between husbands and wives and Christ and the church. We also read about uh, John chapter 3 and verse 29 uh, mentions Christ as being the, the bridegroom or the husband, the one who is to be uh, betrothed to, to the bride. And also the parable of the, uh, the, the, the ten virgins, the, the five foolish virgins and the five wise, wise virgins, virgins alludes uh, to that thought as well. Where can we go to read about the beauty of Christ's bride? Well, you've already mentioned it there in Ephesians chapter 5. I think that's probably the text that uh, we could go to and really see you know, even more of a distinction that's made. Uh, in verses 22 through 33, and you may be listening and say, well, how do you know that's about the church? Verse 32, Paul says, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. But what a distinction that's made. It begins saying, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. So just as the church is subject to Christ, let the wives be their own husbands and everything. So Paul is, is, is intertwining this, if you will, to show the beauty of, of the Lord's church and, and the relationship between Christ and the church. You've already mentioned this in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives 
just as Christ loved the church, how much he gave himself for her. But here's the point I'd like to make, verses 26 and 27. That he might sanctify and cleanse her, and here's the point, with the washing of water by the word. You've already mentioned those who were added to the church were washed in the blood of Christ, Acts twenty two sixteen. That's exactly what took place. And then verse 27, here's the beauty. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Yeah, and we could also reference uh, Revelation 21, and it mentions some of the, just some symbolic language regarding the beauty of Christ. But here in Ephesians 5, it seems like all that is really referenced to is the purity of Christ's bride. That's right. And you, when you think about that, not talking about how she's adorned, not talking about her hair color, not talking about her eyes, but simply that she is pure, simply that she is clean, and that makes the bride of Christ beautiful. Amen. Drew, I appreciate having you on again and discussing the church. And if you like what you heard, go go listen to Drew's podcast as well. I believe he uploads on Thursdays also weathering the storm and drew is also going to be back with me um april 25th lord willing we're going to be discussing psalm 127 drew has a beautiful family and that is the the builder's psalm so thank you for listening don't forget to if you are listening on the podcast don't forget to rate and review us if you're listening on facebook please uh, give us a like or a share and go to the scattered abroad uh, page as well and give that a like and, and a share as well thank you for listening and have a good day thank you for listening to this podcast from the scattered abroad network If you would like to email us, you can do so at thescatteredabroadnetwork at gmail.com. That's thescatteredabroadnetwork at gmail.com. Remember, you can check the show notes below for all of our social media platform links. Also, don't forget that you can find us on all major podcast platforms, and please leave us a rating or review. We hope and pray that this has helped you grow closer to Christ, even though we are scattered abroad. May God bless you.